0: All right, well, let's get started with our second Journal Club podcast. Uh, welcoming uh, Ed Ramoska to the
1: uh, Hahnemann Studios. Oh, the hot, the hot, uh, this is the official Hahnemann this Studios This is the official now? Hahnemann Studios It's now. very official looking. I'm, yeah, I'm quite yeah, impressed.
0: Yeah. How was the green room? Did you have, the cocktails were good? Oh, the, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. the,
1: you know, the shrimp was a little uh, oh, over overcooked. Oh, uh, you, don't you know, say. so the layout, yeah, so <laughs> use a different uh, caterer next time. Okay,
0: we will do, we will do. So, Ed, we've got an interesting collection of Journal Club articles, and uh, uh, I particularly like this Journal Club because this is something somebody is doing right now in one of our emergency departments.
1: Yeah, it's a very common procedure, and it seems that we're um, gonna be um, exploding a few myths during this Journal Club. I mean, about things that we were always taught to do. So, uh, shall we uh, jump into this then? Yeah, let's hit the first myth. Okay. Well, the first article is entitled Irrigation of Cutaneous Abscess Does Not Improve Treatment Success. Um, This is by two gentlemen, Brian Chinook and um, Greg Hendy from UCSF Fresno, um, was published just recently in Annals of Emergency Medicine in March 2016. And they basically did a uh, prospective randomized trial where they looked at whether adults so people over 18 years old who had cutaneous abscess um, were randomized to either having that abscess irrigated or not irrigated and then they looked at what happened 30 days out
0: That's interesting there are there are <coughs> institutions where everybody you know you always irrigate and then there are institutions where you never irrigate you know and, and it's very funny if you've worked in one and then moved to another and you ask the nurse for some irrigation they look at you like,
1: right why, why are you doing that i have to admit i sort of irrigate sometimes when they look i guess yucky <laughs> and other times i don't irrigate so yeah i'm definitely a
0: non-irrigator yeah
1: i, yeah. I i'm mostly a non-irrigator yeah, i think yeah. i i would irrigate them on occasion but basically what they did was they didn't standardize any treatment okay. you could do whatever you wanted you could inject the person with lidocaine and then um, incise them and then break up loculations and either pack them or put them on antibiotics. But what they did was they randomized them to either being irrigated or not irrigated. Although even then, they didn't even standardize their irrigation. Okay. They said most people used around 100 cc's of saline or so. But And so then they um, looked at them at 30 days out to see what would happen. And wh- And what they found was that basically there was no difference in the need for a second procedure to be done
0: right and they define that into majors and minors
1: right I thought that was interesting right right so like one group the irrigation group about 15 percent of the people needed something else done whether right. it was to be re-irrigated or right. repacked or reopened right. or whatever or changed the antibiotics. And the non-irrigation group was 13% required an additional intervention. And there was really no statistical difference between those Mm. two. They also looked at pain scores um, during the procedure and found there was no statistical difference, no statistically significant difference in those. Um, The other interesting thing they did was, um, they obviously lost some people to follow-up because they did a 30-day follow-up. So they had 16 patients who they lost a the follow-up. But then they sort of did like a sensitivity analysis where they said if we assume worst case in which all our non-irrigated people needed a further intervention, okay. but all the irrigated people didn't need anything, right? and they recalculated, they still found there was no statistically significant difference in 30 days. So basically, it seems like we don't really need to irrigate wounds out anymore. Yeah, I, you know. Or not wounds, but abscesses. Abscesses, we, uh, right, indeed. sure.
0: And uh <clears> that's <throat> one you know, like maybe I should be relieved. I don't irrigate these.
1: <laughs> so you've been doing it right all along,. You <laughs> just, and th- th- now
0: we have proof that you're better, you've been better doing lucky it right than good, along. I always say. Right? There, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So now we have proof that you don't really need to irrigate. I wonder what other than sort of a desire to get all that icky stuff out, right? Like, what's the physiologic basis for irrigating? Are there can we imagine there's some wounds that should be irrigated, you know? I don't know.
1: I think it's just an old surgical thing. I Probably. mean, you know, if you go back and look at Robertson Hedges and you look up the irrigation or the abscess chapter, it's going to tell you you should numb it right. and incise it right. and then irrigate it right, and right. break up the loculations and then pack it. And, you know, and that was it. That was right. the old treatment of it. I can remember Dave Wagner telling me abscesses are a surgical disease right they don't right. need antibiotics they just need a knife right now, exactly. cellulitis is a medical disease that needs antibiotics right
0: and you wonder if it's if it extrapolates or was extrapolated from intra-abdominal abscesses or something like that it probably was
1: thought, and nobody had bothered to look at it
0: look at it for
1: well, that's good. I love, I, love
0: a, I love a small study, no matter how, you know, uh, it's only, what was it, 100 patients or so? Yeah. Uh, oh, 200, basically.
1: 187 patients, yeah. Uh, but
0: that's, that's good
1: enough for me to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take it. Well, if you like small studies, then you'll like the next study, too. Packing. So. Now, before you start,
0: what were you taught when you were a resident as to the reason that you pack an abscess?
1: You were supposed to pack it so that you would keep the wound open, uh, allow it to drain more, and it would start to heal from the inside out. Right, so what way- I
0: was taught was that packing had to do with none of the above, <clears throat> and those, those are what drains are for, and that the packing was placed for hemostasis because abscesses are very vascular, they bleed, and you pack the wound for hemostasis. Right. And so that you only needed to pack it as long as um, necessary to
1: achieve hemostasis. I can't, in my experience, abscesses don't bleed that much when you open them up. I mean, unless unless you misguessed and, (laughs) and you were cutting through a cellulitis and not really an abscess and... We'll sort of get to that at the end there when we talk. Or
0: unless you irrigate them too much, right? (laughs) Or unless you irrigate them too much. So, but but it's interesting. So, that was my bias that Mm -hmm. you, that you, I was always taught from when I was a wee lad that you pack a wound to achieve hemostasis because they would just ooze over time if you just threw a four by four on them.
1: This obviously points out that a lot of things that we do were passed on from teacher to student without any real scientific basis to it. And, we just kept perpetuating it and I know. now somebody finally Jerry O'Malley in fact from uh, right. Einstein yeah, from a yeah. couple miles north of us Absolutely. looked at this and um, Props this was to Jerry. This, this was a it's our generation we just when the old guys told us to do something we did it until we just said yes sir and did it <laughs> exactly so so this was from uh, academic emergency medicine a couple of years ago in 2009 okay. uh, entitled titled routine packing of simple cutaneous abscesses is painful and probably unnecessary. And this is a little bit of a smaller study. They had like uh, 48 patients, I believe. Mm-hmm. Prospective, randomized clinical trial. Um, and they looked at the complication rate at 48 hours. Again, they took adults, so anybody over 18 years old who had an, who had an abscess that needed an IND that was on either the trunk or the extremities. They had a couple of exclusions. They excluded really big ones. So, Hmm. or moderately big ones, above five centimeters. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, If you had comorbidities, so if you had diabetes or something like that, if you needed sedation, if you needed IV antibiotics, or if they had to call surgery down to do it for you. Okay. So they were just basically doing simple abscesses in the ER.
0: Simple with a capital S.
1: Yeah. And again, they didn't really standardize the treatment protocol. The only standardization was you were randomized to either getting packing or not getting packing. Okay. Um, And they looked at a 48-hour outcome um, as their initial thing. And they also did a telephone follow-up at like 10 to 15 days or so. Now, again, this was a small study. They didn't really do a power analysis. They said, we're just going to, you know, pick a bunch of patients. And so they had 25 patients they packed and 25 patients they didn't pack. Um, Interestingly, 60% of their people had MRSA.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a number that keeps coming back, right?
1: Yeah. I just I, I highlight that because we're going to talk about another article where they actually cultured people too. And yeah. it was a little bit less. Right. But someplace around, it seems like half the people have mercy. Yes. Half the people don't have mercy. Yep, MRSA.
0: that's the way it's rounding out.
1: <clears throat> so they had um, basically two thirds of their people returned in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. They had 13 people from the PACT group. So that okay. was like about half or so. Right. And they had 21 people, or I'm sorry, 13 people from the non PACT group. So that was about half and 21 people from the pact group that was about 90 percent of the okay. people and what they found was only four of the people in the pact group needed an intervention and five of the people in the non-pact group needed an intervention so again no statistically significant difference between those two um they also contacted all the people in the non-pact or they contacted 10 of the 11 people in the non-pact group and said hey yeah, you didn't come back. You didn't come back. Do you want to come back? And they said, no, my abscess, my wound looks fine. It's healing. <laughs> Leave me alone. Don't pack me. <laughs> don't, don't pack me. I'm not coming back to your ER so you can so you can jam something into my wound here. Uh, you're, 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 we're not going to let you do that. Um, they they then contacted about three quarters of the people about 10 to 15 days out, and none of them reported any complications. Mm-hmm. So again, small pilot study. Um but it seems like there was no difference between packing and non-packing in these people. So, and, and didn't what a lot of the packing people get
0: as an intervention is more packing?
1: Yeah, I was always taught that you brought them back in thirty-six to forty-eight hours. You took the packing out, and then you repacked the wound right. with a little less packing, so right. that it healed in a little bit more and right. it granulated right. in. And then you brought them back again, and you took it out until the wound got smaller and smaller, right. and
0: um, there you go. Until it went away, right? Um, So if your intervention is packing again and you don't need packing, then that's not really, you know, that's just a continuation of the original. Well, I I thought that this article was very interesting. And um, it fit with my clinical practice where there are many times that many of these simple abscesses do not need to be packed. You don't pack them, of course. Some of them are, you know are so small that the packing will literally just You
1: can't get packing into them. <laughs> <laughs> you have
0: to tape the packing in. Right. Which if, if you have to pack the packing then it's Yeah, probably, that's probably
1: not it's probably not, not good.
0: But it is significant that the really big abscesses were not in there.
1: Right. And so the question I guess is if you've got a big one that's over five or six centimeters, should you pack that or not?
0: And 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 those are the ones that will bleed. Those are the ones that may need some sort of hemostasis. So I don't know what your thought was, but um, I felt that as long as you read the title correctly, simple cutaneous abscesses is painful and probably unnecessary, I think you got the take-home message. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think you're right. This, this was a, um, one of those studies where they did a good job of titling it because it, it. let you know what's going on there. And we didn't really cover that, but the you know what they talked about the pre-procedure pain scores were similar between the two groups, sure. and the packing group had much higher pain. Uh, post-procedure pain than the non-packing group, so you're you're causing people pain and you're not getting much out of it. Right. Uh, lo- so again, location was mostly uh, I noticed extremities. Extremities there. and trunk. Right. So,
0: so points to if you're thinking you know pra- uh, you know will it, would a pilonidal <laughs> abscess? Yes. Or they no, excluded things right. like that. So, so I think it's important to just realize that. So that uh, that that boil that simple boil on the thigh. Half the time, it's MRSA, Lance, and go. Right, and just
1: stick a knife in it, and <laughs> right. let it drain, and don't irrigate it, and don't jam anything into it when you're done.
0: Curing with steel. There you go. So then then we have a um, another abscess paper, including uh, a Philly guy, Dave Karras.
1: Yeah, this was, um, the lead author here is Dave Talon, mm-hmm. who's a big um, emergency medicine ID guy from right. View, sure. UCLA. And mm-hmm. Dave Karras from up at uh, Temple, again, uh, about, a, I guess, a mile and a half or so north That's of us. That's right. On Broad Street. This was the New England Journal, again, recently, March of, uh, 2016. And this was a relatively large, multi-center, double-blind, randomized trial where they looked at trimethoprim sulfa, so Bactrim, um, versus placebo in patients with outpatient skin abscesses who needed an IND. hmm they used adults, but they they sort of jimmied their age down to if you were greater than 12 years old, or if the other two studies just looked at greater than 18 years mm-hmm. old. And if the abscess was bigger than two centimeters. So really small ones they didn't include in this one. And they basically had, in this case, they actually standardized, a, talk about a standardized training technique mm-hmm. for how to numb it, how to um, IND it, um, and things like that. And then they randomized you to either two double strength bactrim or to a placebo twice a day for seven days. So um, basically quadruple strength backdrop. Uh-huh. And they evaluated the people at different times. They had a three to four day evaluation, which they considered their treatment period. Right. Then they had an eight to 10 day evaluation, which was sort of the end of the treatment. They had right. finished, and that, that, that they termed their test of cure visit. Right. And then they had a extended follow-up, um, which was like 49 to 63 days.
0: Um, so, so comment on the study, um, uh, <coughs> on the method, the modified intention to treat, because uh, I reviewed this on EM ToxCast before, and I thought that that played an important role here.
1: Yeah, it, intention to treat basically means that if you are randomized to the group, right, you're gonna be, so if I'm randomized to the Bactrim group, I'm going to be analyzed with the Bactrim group, regardless of whether I took all yes. of the Bactrim or any of the Bactrim, Threw the Bactrim away, right. sold it on the streets, uh, <laughs> trying to convince somebody it was a good drug to take, exactly. or whatever. Right. You just were going to get it analyzed there. As versus, they also did a per protocol analysis here where they actually looked at people who just took the drug right. as versus. So that's intention to treat. Intention to treat is whatever group you're put in, the, that's where the you. The doctor get, wanted you to take the Bactrim. This is what you did. Right. And a lot of authors think that's a better way to analyze studies because it more mimics real life what exactly. goes on in the ER. I give somebody a prescription, I right. don't know that they're actually going to take it or they're gonna take it for the whole seven days. So it sort of mimics real life in the ER. Right. As versus making sure that, you know, right. uh, people actually take it. But it favors
0: the intervention in general if you switch to a modified intention to treat. Yes. Right? Where you say, well, Uh, The modified intention, you say, I really was trying to study seven days of Bactrim, so I only want the data from people who took all seven days. In general that, and and this comes up all the time in in lots of big studies, cancer research, Mm -hmm. cardiology Mm -hmm. research, uh, you know, you will use this endpoint of compliance as the modified intention to, to uh, in a modified intention to treat child. Good or bad, don't know, but you need to be aware yeah. of it.
1: Well they actually analyzed the data both in a modified intention to treat way and also in the per protocol way. So sure, when people yeah. took it. And basically what they found in both cases was that they got better cure rates by having people take bactrim. Um, you know the in the modified intention to treat analysis it was about eighty percent cure for the Bactrim versus about 74% for the placebo. And in the per protocol group, it was close to 93% cure for the Bactrim versus 86%. So if you do a number needed to treat, it's about 14, 14 and a half patients. So you have to treat about 14 people with Bactrim to get one additional cure from this. Um, They also did a, um, a few secondary outcomes And they found that the Bactrim group had lower rates of subsequent surgical drainage procedures, lower rates of skin infections at new sites, which is sort of one of those risk factors you look for. In in the old days, we used to look for to determine whether we should put somebody on antibiotics or not. And also lower rates of infections among household uh, members. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, again, I was taught, IND it, irrigate it out, put packing in it, that's all you need. Well forget about the irrigation, right. forget about the packing. Right. But put them on antibiotics now. Right. So we're totally upending everything I was taught thirty years ago. Right,
0: right. Well, so is fourteen a num- a good number needed to treat?
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good number. Yeah. I that mean that's a pretty good number. I mean a,
0: when you get into the when you get <laughs> into the eights and the sixes and the fives and like you know the joke about aspirin is the number needed to treat is so low you should go out to the waiting room and just give everybody aspirin right. out
1: there too <laughs> yeah so but, that is a pretty good number but then on the other hand there are some things like you know when, when you look at like number needed to treat for using statins to you know the number needed to treat is like in the 90s to 100 right so you know right and those things are so expensive where uh, seven days of back now let's talk
0: about the the uh the these groups so these were cutaneous abscesses but they were they were slightly on the bigger side like they did not allow a lot of tiny little you know no. one inch abscesses in there they, these are close to um uh bigger than that so what is it two centimeters, two
1: centimeters was yeah. was the cutoff. so the question is what do you do with this little abscess that you just sort of poke a hole in and let drain do you right. put that on i think i don't know i think i would be tempted just to throw it on back from too Maybe, especially if if I told you that odds mm-hmm. are uh,
0: half the time it's going to be MRSA, right? And you know we know MRSA has these uh, uh, these factors that uh, are released that you know break down uh, walls around uh, tissue and allows it to be more invasive, invasive than MSSA. So um, yeah, I like it. I, I I do feel like though I can still um, if I just uh, fall down on the side of looking at an abscess, and if I see a little cellulitis and it looks big enough, that those are the ones I'll go after and add a little bactrim to. Right.
1: or if they have little, like f- folliculitis around the thing, right. where it's like spreading, or sure. you see something, a little bump in the distant site, and you're like, ah, yeah. this person's probably colonized. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they've had multiple abscesses in the past, right, or something like that. right. So, if there's still a little bit of. Uh, Of Art I guess to this but we're but we're sort of honing down on the science,
0: right? So let's talk about these uh, these cure rates uh, the with and without so if you're going to uh, Let's say you're going to tell a patient uh, You know that you're going to give antibiotics um, Then how would we and because this is a big thing now we'd like to talk to the residents about um, relating risk to them so um, if we did and now roughly, if you look at the uh, per protocol versus the modified intention to treat, the difference is still about just one more person in the number needed to treat, about right. about a seven percent difference, yeah, about a seven percent right. difference between the two. right
1: the one number needed to treat is thirteen point nine, the other one is fourteen point five. right so so
0: how would so <clears throat> let's say a patient uh, comes in and we say, "You know, like, well, I'm going to put you on antibiotics and they say, "I don't think I have one antibiotics." How would you how would you, you know,
1: talk to them about what this does for their um how would you describe it to them? Um I think the first thing I would ask them was like why you wouldn't want antibiotics? <laughs> yeah, because well, I think most people, does. <laughs> I think most people do. Yeah. I mean, you know, most people would be like, you're not going to give me antibiotics for this? I would probably be taken aback <laughs> and like, really? You don't want antibiotics? You're right. 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 You probably don't want Percocet then either, right? <laughs> I mean that would just it, it would be strange. But you know, I think I would explain to them that you know, putting you on antibiotics will lead to a better cure rate in in you know most people. Again, we have to treat about 14 people or so. If I give 14 people antibiotics, one extra person is gonna get benefit from there. I don't know if it's gonna be you or not, but overall, it seems to be a better thing to do. And the side effect profile is really not that bad. I mean, they, they had some GI side effects that were a little bit, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. actually, even in the placebo, um, you know, thirty-six percent of the people complained of some GI side effects, mm-hmm. right? As versus forty-three percent, right? But they didn't see anything bad. Like nobody got C diff, sure. You know, a little GI upset, right? A little right. Diarrhea, sure. whatever. But I mean, nothing too bad. So, so I what? Mean,
0: what if we tried a different? So that's a, I would take that if you said that to me. Like you know, <clears> if I treat fourteen people, then um, one one person who normally would not do would as fail, well it would, will will do better. But what if I said this way, well, no antibiotics, 85% you're fine. With antibiotics, you know, 92% guarantee. Does that translate? Do you think that that, that uh, communicates
1: the risk? That's a whole, I, we can get into a whole big philosophical discussion about how the normal person Assesses risk I, or not?
0: I only I only and go on this little tangent because it's something I've been really really thinking about. Yeah, right now, how I, we no, I
1: hear you because you know you're saying to somebody, yeah, you know, like you know, in the modified attention and treat, seventy four percent of the people got better with with placebo, whereas if I gave them antibiotics, eighty percent, eighty one percent got better. So it's only a six percent different. Right. That's why I think that using a number needed to treat seems to make more sense to most people. Because, right. you know, telling somebody 6%, 7%, 10%, I don't think people necessarily understand. Whereas if you tell them, I can treat 14 people and one extra person will get better, they can make a better risk assessment right. out of that.
0: They can say like, oh, I might be that one extra person, I, I might yeah. take it.
1: Well, how you communicate these
0: really does affect the outcome, doesn't it?
1: Let's face it, most people don't understand Statistics, most doctors. most doctors don't understand statistics, <laughs> let alone let alone the layperson. Right. So, uh, you know, yeah, all you have to do is go and look at a uh, one of the latest polls, right? Sure. I mean, they, they 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 show somebody's two percent less than somebody else, but the margin of error is plus or minus three percent. Right, right. And they're claiming this so and so is ahead right, of this right, guy. Right. And you're like, yeah, but it's within the margin of error. And yeah. there's no
0: difference between it, guys, really? Well, like we did on our last podcast, we talked about consenting people for uh, TPA, right? Right? You know, and so um mm-hmm. very fond of AEM's, um, you know, infographic where, the, you know, it shows, right. you know, two people going green and one person going to the black, if I remember that. Right, right. That's right? how it does it. Yeah. So I'm not
1: sure we need to do an infographic for something simple like that. <laughs> that. that might be a little overkill. No, but. yeah. But, but yeah, no, it's a good concept, though. Yeah, do now, something especially like when that. most people are like,
0: what, no antibiotics? You're like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> oh, you read the New England Journal article. <laughs> All right, so you got a bonus round for us here, huh? Yeah,
1: so while I was doing this, I came across, I couldn't decide on which articles I was going to have the residents uh, actually review and present. Okay. But I came across a couple others that I just thought were interesting. All right. Um, so let's look at the ultrasound one first. Um, this is from Dr.... Al-Sawi from the the, the King Abdul Aziz Medical Center in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had to include a study from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they did a good job, yeah. Yeah, and and they looked at, basically, they they did a literature review. Mm -hmm. This is entitled Ultrasonography for the Diagnosis of Patients with Clinically Suspected Skin and Soft Tissue Infections, A Systematic Review of the Literature. So they did a literature review. They did the typical database search, and they came up with five basic studies. Um, They were all prospective. They were all ED based. They all used convenience samples. And they tried to look at the sensitivity and specificity of ultrasound and whether ultrasound could help change management decisions. Um, There were were basically, again, five studies, one by Berger, one by Marin, one by Civitz, one by Squire, and one by um, Teal. All pretty small. All pretty small studies. On yeah. uh, the biggest one was 387 patients, but mm-hmm. you're right; they were like 50 patients, yeah. 107 patients, mm-hmm. things like that. Sure. And they found the sensitivity of ultrasound was probably someplace in the 90 to 95, maybe 98% area or so. For, Again, for diagnosing an abscess. For helping to diagnose. Yeah. Again, you know, one of the problems with this study, or you know with their analysis is there was a lot of heterogeneity in the studies yes so there were different um you know standards about what constituted an abscess and what didn't constitute an abscess gotcha um one of the things that i one of the studies i thought was was interesting was the one by marin which looked at 387 pediatric patients they divided their lesions into clinically evident lesions so this is the one where yeah, The big red thing comes in right. and your neighbor said, you got an abscess there <laughs> as versus ones that were not clinically evident. Sure. So they were just red yeah. and a little swollen. Sure. And I, we've all had this, you know, right. where you sit there and you're poking at it and you're trying to decide, right. should I cut this or not? Right. And then right. you right. cut it open and nothing like, comes oh, out. And you're like, oh, hemostasis. God. Yeah, <laughs> th- 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 this was a bad move on my part. Right. Right. right, So what they found was that for the clinically evident ones, ultrasound really didn't add much. Mm. You know, I mean, the sensitivity was 94% without it and 93% with it. But for the non-clinically evident ones, um, the sensitivity of just your clinical exam was around 44%. So you were guessing less than half the time Mm. whether there was an abscess. But when you added ultrasound, the sensitivity went up to basically 78%. So Essentially eight out of ten. Okay. So ultrasound seems to work when you know if you're if you're sure there's an abscess there, you probably don't need ultrasound. Sure. But if you're not quite sure, at least it seemed in this study that ultrasound was pretty sensitive um, for picking things up. There were two other studies where they looked at changes in management decisions. The one by civets, which again looked at fifty pediatric patients. Okay. And they found that out of fifty management decisions, there was a change in eleven cases, so twenty-two percent. Now they a priori had decided which changes were actually they, they were going to consider significant, right, right. and only, only eight of them were actually significant. But again, sixteen percent. And then the last study, the one by Taal, had one hundred twenty-six adult patients. They did basically the same thing. They looked at the change in management, and they found that basically 40% of the changes in management were significant changes. So it's, let's face it, we the ultrasound machine's sitting there anyway. You might as well just, you know, if you're not sure, you might as well just take it in the room and take a quick look and see, you know, it may actually help you make a decision about whether you're gonna cut into that patient or not.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, now, clinically what we used to do before ultrasound is basically do uh, just a small needle aspirate to see if there was uh, enough of a a collection. Um, And what I have seen since ultrasound is that (coughs) I identify more abscesses, I would say, but many times they are not... um, Big
1: enough to do anything They're not productive for an
0: IND, you know? And so, not 100% sure that... um, I am doing anything better than I did before, uh, although I do see some of the, the residents and some of um, the folks just starting out in their careers really want that confidence of saying, oh, that's what mm-hmm. I'm going after there.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, I mean, we've, I've, I'm sure we've all had this situation where you're not sure, and so you stick a needle in it and you try to aspirate, you yeah. don't get anything out. And then you pull the needle out and pus comes leaking out because <laughs> it was so thick yeah. that you couldn't pull it up in the needle, even an 18-gauge needle. Right. So, or it hasn't
0: completely uh, localized, you know. And right. And it's just one of those sort of abscesses that is just still like a spider web in there and you really can't get it into one pocket. Right.
1: And so I, I think, I, you know, I, I use ultrasound relatively liberally. It's one of the few ways that I actually feel really comfortable using ultrasound. Okay on soft tissue infections and stuff. And yeah, you'll see little pockets and you're like, nah, I'm not going for that, that's mm-hmm. too small. Yeah, yeah. But occasionally you'll see something that was deeper, that's got a nice collection there that you you're go. like, yeah, I can actually get in, you know, that's a, yeah. something I think I can do something with.
0: That has helped me, I will say that. that sometimes I will uh, see on the ultrasound machine just how deep I need to go to get to that right. pocket.
1: Yeah, because otherwise you're cutting and you're like, oh, all, I'm, all I'm doing is causing bleeding. Am I actually yeah. doing any good here?
0: I'm telling you, we're all going to need our own ultrasound machine. Just going to yeah. walk around with them.
1: So the In- last study here, um, injectable lidocaine provides similar analgesia compared to transdermal lidocaine-tetracaine patch for incision and drainage of skin abscesses a uh, randomized controlled trial. Mm -hmm. Um, This was from Bourne and colleagues from the uh, Medical University of South Carolina uh, from 2014. Interesting study because we always, I always use lidocaine or Lido with Epi and inject around the abscess, inject the abscess cavity. They actually um, used transdermal lidocaine tetracaine patch Um, They basically took, you know, it was a single study, prospective double blind trial, where they put a patch on somebody 30 minutes before they were gonna do something. And that patient was randomized. Right, yeah, I saw that, yep. Yeah, either getting lidocaine, or then they took off the patch and they injected them with either then saline or lidocaine. And then they did their procedure. Um, And really small study. I mean, they they claimed they did a power analysis and they only really needed 20 patients. They wound up getting 12 patients to the lido tetracaine group and eight to the lido injection group. Uh-huh. But they found that the initial pain was similar. Right? The lidocaine group had a VAS score, VAS pain score of around 50 millimeters, right. whereas the lido tetra group, a little bit higher, 55. Right, But during the procedure, they found that the lido. Um, VAS score was only about 50, so basically about the same as Mm -hmm. it was when they came in. Versus the Lido Tetra patch was around 60. Now they noticed that that was a significant statistical difference, right? but they said it was not clinically significant because they had used, when they did their power analysis, they wanted to find a difference of 20 millimeters on the VAS score. I'm not exactly sure why they picked 20, because my reading of the literature most studies seem to suggest that someplace around 13, 15 millimeters difference yes. is an actually significant difference. And they and this is a 10 difference right. in a group where one was more painful already. It's a small, st- so I'm not sure what to make of this. I mean. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, it, yeah. I like to say that
0: the uh, that the visual analog scale, the difference is like a width of a finger,
1: you know? Yeah. Like
0: you, when people start pointing at these VAS <laughs> scales, uh, and I, I had done a, uh, a similar, not a sim, but I used a similar visual analog scale and it almost never, folks never move things like a couple of millimeters when they were, when they were intending them to be different uh, one to the other. Um, do you remember buffered lidocaine? Yes. Right. It was a big deal. Buffered lidocaine. And I used to do it for a while, but I, you know, I hate to say that, you know, so why did we stop buffered lidocaine? Because it's a pain in the... It's...
1: Well, <laughs> I, it's I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to say that on the oh, podcast. I go <laughs> you can't say it's, that in the Hanuman podcast, do you? It's, it's It's painful to do. It, you have to have the lidocaine and invariably the lidocaine... That's not why they stopped it. And So the reason they stopped it was it and, that they
0: did a study that asked the patient, right? Okay. How much would you pay for buffered lidocaine... Versus the regular oh, like I must again. have missed
1: this stuff. Oh, okay. I remember
0: this. Now, I don't remember the details, but I'll have to drag it out somehow. But okay. the patient was like a quarter. Like, you know, like, yeah, it, it's less on the visual analog scale. But the value of it to me is not that great.
1: Okay, I I, I remember seeing that study, but I I can I will try it, to I go guess. dig
0: that up. I can
1: remember. I mean, that. you know, you're supposed to like warm the lidocaine to room temperature, sure. or you know, Injective warm it slow. up in your hand. Get, yeah. you know, supposed to in- use a small needle, inject right. it slowly. That all I do. But yeah. trying to get a new bottle of bicarb to buffer your lidocaine is just
0: so the point was on a vas scale it measured a difference the patients didn't seem to think to really care about so and you think about it in terms of general general pain scales you know six five right is the patient saying like oh yeah that's a miracle cure
1: yeah i don't think so it it hurts to have an abscess (laughs) and so so if you were thinking about trying to use a lidocaine uh tetracaine patch yeah nah, not so much. I'm not sure. Okay. So we we, we seem to be I, I've been doing abscesses wrong for all these years, apparently. <laughs> I've I've been irrigating them and packing them and not putting them on antibiotics. Okay, so stop so no more irrigation. No more irrigation. Don't need to pack the small ones. Don't need to pack the small ones. Uh Put
0: put the worrisome ones on antibiotics for sure, especially if you're having a MRSA uh, prevalence, which most of us have. And if you want a little bit better outcome, not huge, but enough to maybe uh, count heads as to who gets better. Right. And uh, throw the ultrasound machine on there if it makes you feel better
1: show the patient oh look you've got a nice little hole there we're gonna
0: to to take care of this right it's- and uh and uh still grab the lidocaine after all so and
1: still grab the lidocaine yeah i'm not sure the lido patch is gonna work all right good well that's
0: uh two people's opinions we'll see what everybody says in journal club next week yeah it
1: should be exciting all right thanks Ed. thanks Bye. All right. bye